today's reading comes from Matthew 13, 31 to 33, sorry, and 44 to 46. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that birds come and perch on its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast that the woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it works all through the dough. The kingdom of heaven is like the treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then he took joy and sold it and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like the merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Amen. Thank you, Fletcher. And uh, I just want to add my welcome to that of Leah's, everyone who's here today. And it's great to, that we're seeing um, more local folk come along, which is fantastic. Nothing wrong with folk who have come a bit of a distance either, by the way. You know, I just hasten to add, but it's great that we're seeing uh, and we're connecting in with people in this area. And I just want to, um, I sense when um, Ella was leading us in that worship that um, there are some folk who are doing it a bit hard. And can I encourage you, as that song said, to keep our eyes on Jesus, to look to him. The bloke who actually wrote the original song of that, if you ever go, not right now, but if you go on later on after the service and look up um, the name of that song as well, you'll see the story where, this chap lost his wife and children in a terrible uh, ship disaster. And when he got the news, that was a context for when he wrote that song. So this was a born out of hardship and toughness, but he knew that it was well with his soul because he was looking to Jesus. So if you, if you can just encourage people right now to continue to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I just want to thank the worship team and the team, the tech team as well, out the back, for coming. They come here early, and they set up, and they. Um, do you know, I never used to come to music practices, but now that Joy's occasionally playing the keys, I've observed this and I've observed the effort that they're putting. So I reckon we should show our appreciation for the. Um, it's fantastic, and it's a lovely worship that uh, was led today. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, I ask that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable in your sight, that your Holy Spirit would continue to speak to us, Lord, and lead us into truth and understanding. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing our series on the Lord's Prayer, and we're rocketing ahead to um, to uh, the next verse of the Lord's Prayer. So for those who are new and perhaps wondering where we're at to, if you go onto our website, you'll see our podcasts and you can you can find all our messages. And last week, um, I preached on hallowed be your name, just one line. Um, now I'm going to preach on a whole verse, um, which, is, uh, which is really a significant part of the Lord's Prayer. But, but as we've commenced this, I want to, um, if you ever heard that expression, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And uh, often that's used particularly when people are trying to network 
and they're looking for employment or they're looking for um, some sort of decision in government and they're trying to get avoid the bureaucracy or they want to find out what's going on and often people say, oh, look, you know, it's not what you know, but it's who you know. It's who you know. Well, I just want to brag slightly today because um, in, a, in a less than a week's time, um, King Charles III is going to have his coronation. And uh, you may think, well, how does that feature in today's message? Well, I'm glad you asked that question in your minds because um, you've often heard about the degrees of separation, you know, so many degrees of separation between one person and another. And I can just stand up here today and the podcast is recording and say that there are two degrees of separation between me and King Charles III. Two degrees. And you may think, well, how does that be? Well, once again, good question. So so um, my brother-in-law, I've got a few brother-in-laws, so I won't name him, but one of my brother-in-laws served in the Navy with, as he was then, Prince Charles, who is now King Charles. So, so there's one degree of separation between me and my brother-in-law, and then my brother-in-law still keeps in contact in a loose fashion, with King Charles. And so there are two degrees of separation between me and King Charles. How good's that? Yeah, I, I know it impresses some people. Um, I look for the invitation to the coronation and I think somehow rather wrong address or, or something's happened, but, you know, we didn't, quite, we didn't quite make it. So there's two degrees of separation between me and King Charles III. But, folks, can I tell you today as much as you may be slightly impressed by that little anecdote, there is one degree of separation between me and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, that's even more important, and that's even more significant. One degree of separation. So we're not talking about the kingdom of the United Kingdom, if you like, but today we're talking about the kingdom of God and the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples saying, your kingdom come, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, we might put it up on the screen, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're talking about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, King Jesus and his kingdom. And when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're not talking about a place. We're not talking about a geographic location. We're not talking about a territory somewhere. We're not saying you can go into Google Maps and type in the kingdom of God and find out how long it's going to take you to get from here to the kingdom of God. So we're not talking about a place or a territory or a geographic location, but the kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of God. That's what the kingdom is. It's the rule and the reign of God. And can I say, folks, because we're worshipping Christ today, and because he has touched our lives, the kingdom of God is here. Here, in Corolla Park. The kingdom of God is here. And Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And so this prayer is not asking somehow rather for the kingdom to, to suddenly happen. No, the kingdom of God is here. But when we pray the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, we're asking for the kingdom to be expanded, to have even greater impact than what it is now. So the kingdom 
is something that's really significant in the book of Matthew. It's mentioned over 50 times. And, uh, and surely I want to unpack the parable that Fletcher read to us about the kingdom. But the kingdom began with the public ministry of Jesus. Jesus, John the Baptist started to preach and he said, Repent for the kingdom of God is near. And when Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and came back from the desert, he said, Repent for the kingdom of God is near. Why could he say that? Why was the kingdom near? Because the king was there. Jesus is there. And where Jesus is, there's the kingdom. And he invites us to participate in the work of the kingdom. How good's that? So the kingdom is something really insignificant for us. And let me just very quickly give you the sort of the, the big picture, or as some people like to call it, the meta-narrative, which is a great phrase, about, about this whole thing. So do you remember a few weeks ago we talked about our Father in heaven and how um, that we, we enter into the family of God through adoption because there's been a family breakup. So in the context of the kingdom of God, there was creation. And God, as king, created the world, and it was good. And then there there was this family breakup. There was this disobedience. There was this fall. There was this rejection by us of God. And so we, we, we got banished from the kingdom, from the garden. And then Jesus has come to bring in the kingdom. But the kingdom hasn't fully come. It has come, but it hasn't fully come, and it won't fully come if we go right over to the right-hand side until Jesus returns in all of his glory. And so if you like, we're in this sort of, in the sweep of history where we're part of God's kingdom that has come into the world, but it hasn't yet fully come and it won't fully come until Christ returns. That's where we are right now. We're participating in the work of the kingdom. And let me share with you the great scripture in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, which, which explains how this plays out. And I love this. It's talking about what God has done for us in Jesus. The Father has rescued us from the domain of darkness. So we've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of his Son, whom he loves. So when you come to Christ, what happens is there's a kingdom transfer. You go from being in the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's what God does. And it's he who rescues us. See, God has initiated this worldwide rescue operation to to bring people out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. So when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, your kingdom come, we're praying that God's kingdom will more fully come into the world, that more people would come out of darkness into light. More people would come under the Lordship of Jesus. That's what that prayer is about. God's in the business of rescuing us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, many people don't realize that they're in the dark. And God has to shine his light in upon our lives. And we realize, I'm in a bit of a mess here. And God reaches out to us in his son, Jesus, and shines his light into our lives, illuminates the darkness and rescues us and takes us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So when you pray that prayer, your kingdom come, you're asking for God the more can fully come in his kingdom. In our lives, in our suburb, in our city, in our country. But what's this kingdom like? 
if Matthew talks about it 50 times, what is this kingdom really like? Well, the parables which um, were read to us by Fletcher give us a bit of an inkling. And I think, you know, stories are really interesting, aren't they? When people tell a story, people remember stuff. You know, I, I some people have heard me say this, but I, when I was slightly younger, I used to take a lot of Easter camps. And uh, I took one over on Air Peninsula over 20 years ago and a place called Tharuna. And I might have told a few stories at that camp. I know it would be hard to believe, but I might have told a few stories. Well, about um, four years ago, I got asked to speak at the camp again, and uh, which I love to do. And uh, we had this Saturday evening, and uh, parents of the teenagers could come along and have a barbecue and participate in the camp, and it was a great idea. And I'd, um, I'd preached a message that night, and this chap came up to me, probably in his 40s, and uh, he said, I've got a bone to pick with you. And you know, I, when that happens, just as a preacher, you get a little bit concerned. You know, have I said something wrong? Have I offended him? Did I make an error of doctrine? You know, what, what's happened? And Because uh, in the message, I'd said that I'd been at this camp you know, 22 years ago. And he said, I've got a bone to pick with you. He said, it wasn't 22 years ago. It was 24 years ago. And I was here at the camp at that time with my girlfriend. And, uh, and now my two teenage daughters are here at the camp. And uh, I said, well, that's good. And, uh, and he said, I can't remember much about what you said. Well, not surprising, 24 years ago. He said, but I can remember the story you told. And then he recounted the story, which I won't go into now. But um, it wasn't a bad story, obviously. But 24 years ago, he'd heard the story. And he still remembered it. And Jesus used stories and parables to try and illustrate quite difficult and challenging things. And here is this great example of trying to understand the kingdom. And uh, it gives his parables. And so that's no wonder that preachers tell stories. Um, and I'm continuing to probably tell the occasional story because people remember stories and they have an impact. And so one of the stories that Jesus told was about the, um, the kingdom of God being like a, uh, a tree or, or a seed that was planted. And uh, the first one was in Matthew 13, when um, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Now, the mustard seed, I'll, I'll, just, I'll, I'll just hold that slide for a sec, Callum. I'll come to that one. But the first one was about the mustard seed. Mustard seed was the smallest seed that the farmer used, right? The smallest seed that the farmer used. And so it's pretty small and insignificant. But the farmer plants, um, a man plants the seed and says it's the smallest of all the seeds. When it grows, it's the largest of the garden plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. So what's, what's the kingdom? Of, what's the message about the kingdom? The message of the kingdom is it might appear fairly insignificant to start with. So Jesus comes into the world and had a ragtag group of disciples. And, and at the time of the crucifixion, there was probably only a few hundred followers of Jesus. There are now two billion followers of Jesus in the world. This, the kingdom of God started off like a little mustard seed and it's grown to be this incredible tree. So the kingdom of God grows and it's growing today. 
And there are people becoming Christians all over the world, even as we speak right now. And we're just part of what's going on in the kingdom. There's something dramatic here and, and worldwide that's going on. So the kingdom of God is growing. And then it says that the kingdom of God is, um, is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. What's going on there? Well, the kingdom of God has an impact. So a bit of yeast, you stick it in the dough and it has a major, Im and I'm not a great, um, and my wife will attest to this, other than the very good barbecue, which happens when I get onto it, other that's but by contribution to the cooking in the Elford household. But, and that's not a bad effort too, by the way. I mean, let's have a show of hands for all the blokes who are fantastic. Yeah, I can see a few hands, excellent. There are some other things that go on with barbecues, apparently preparation and salads. But really the key is the cooking of the meat, isn't it? I mean, let's face it. We'll discuss that later. But um, a, a, bit of, a bit of yeast causes the bread to rise and has a huge impact. So the kingdom of God is not only growing, but it has a massive impact in the world. Even right now, the kingdom of God has a huge impact. It has an impact upon our laws, upon our society, upon the way people treat each other. And then we come to the, uh, the, the other couple of short parables. And we have got a couple of scriptures on them. So the first one is the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. And when a man found it, he hid the gain. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and he bought the field. I love that story. And then the next one is the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And uh, when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. See, the kingdom of God, when, when we start to understand what the kingdom of God is about, then really, it's everything. And like a man who discovered this treasure, he sold all that he had so he could get it. Or the merchant looking for the pearls, he found the perfect pearl. And he did everything he possibly could because he wanted to get that pearl. Because the kingdom of God is so incredible and so profound and so important that we need to be all out for the kingdom. That's really what we're called to be. As Jesus as the king of the king of the kingdom, we are called to participate in the kingdom. And when you start to participate in the kingdom and you see what life is all about, you go all out for it. You hold nothing back. You go to the end to the nth degree because you want to be involved in the kingdom. It's so important. And what a privilege it is to be part of the kingdom. So we're praying today, Lord, your kingdom come. May your influence grow. May you continue to have an impact. May you use us in the work of your kingdom. What a great thing it is to be part of the kingdom. There's a whole series, I can sense it. There's a whole series about the kingdom. But this is just a bit of a taste of the day about the kingdom of God. But the next part of this verse says, Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, often we talk about will, and sometimes, you know, parents will talk about, oh, so-and-so is a strong-willed child. I don't know if you've ever... I've come to the conclusion, I reckon every child is... 
is a strong-willed child or a strong-willed grandchild. Yeah, I've, I've, I've come to that conclusion. Yeah, and sometimes you know when parents are trying to deal with younger kids, yeah, you, you, or even teenagers, dare I say, it, we talk about a clash of wills. Yeah, and uh, am I talking to members of the human race? Does anyone ever sense that? Either as a teenager or as a parent, sometimes there's the occasional clash of wills, a little bit of a battle that goes on. You with me, folks? I can see a lot of a lot of nodding. Some people who have got large numbers of kids know exactly what this is like. And this prayer is that that uh, Jesus said to his disciples is praying that your will might be done. And you see, it's not our will, but God's will. And this is where the battle is, because we are pretty good, and I'm pretty good, at trying to build up my kingdom and to be the king of my kingdom. Do you hear it, folks? That, that we love to have control. We love to have control. We don't like it at all, really, when anyone tells us what to do. We don't like it when our partner suggests something. We don't like it when the authorities tell us to do something. We just generally don't like to be told what to do because we want to be in control and we want to be in charge of our kingdom. And this is, and when Jesus teaches us to pray and says, your will be done, this is a, this is a real threat to us. It's a real threat because it's coming up against this independent streak that we have that we want to call the shots. That we want to be in charge, that we want to be in the driver's seat. And, and we want to build our kingdom. And, and I think the biggest battle that goes on in Christianity is that we have this pride and this desire to be in control. And, and yet when you come into God's kingdom, you're submitting your will to God's will. And that's where the battle is. And I don't think it's just a one-off battle, dare I say it. I think it actually goes on and on. I think every day can be a challenge because we want to be in charge. We want to be independent. We want to be on top of things. And yet the, the, the message of the kingdom is that we need to submit to the king and pray that, God, your will be done. Not my will. Not our will. But God's will. We need to submit our will to God's will. And I think it's a lifelong journey to do that. And it comes at different times, in, in, in different stages in our life. Let me just um, have a look at John chapter 6 for a moment, because this is a good example of understanding the will of God. And just as a before I launch into that, I can remember as a young Christian being in a a home group or a Bible study group, and we used to have these long debates and discussions about how do we know the will of God? I don't know, has anyone ever asked that question, how do you know the will of God for your life? You know, and, and it can actually get to the point where, you know, there's some big questions of life where you really need to know clearly God's guidance. Like, there I say it, who are you going to marry if you're in that circumstance? That's a pretty significant life decision who you're going to marry but then there is there are other decisions like well what sort of career i'm going to have yeah these are these important big decisions but then there's other quite sort of secondary decisions like what sort of car should i buy you know 
It's, it's God's will for me to buy a brand new, a, a second-hand Pajero, which our worship coordinator has just recently bought. It's parked across the road over there. Or does God want me to buy... You know, you, you can, and then you can say, well, does God want me to have Wheaties for breakfast or, or Fruit Loops? You know, you can get sort of down to the... Um, I think Wheaties is the answer for that. But um, you can get down to these minute sort of levels, which I don't think that's really what we should be doing. Because God's will is something bigger than all that. Let me listen to, listen to this. In John 6, verse 35, and many people know the first part of this because it's, it's a, a great I am statement. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in, in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, and this is, the, this is the crucial thing about the will of God. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So this is Jesus saying to his disciples, he, he hasn't come to do his own will. He's come to do the will of him who sent him. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all of those he has given me. I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will, and I love this, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I'll raise them up on the last day. If you want to know the definition of God's will, God's, God's desire is that, that everyone who looks to the Son, everyone who looks to Jesus, to the King, and believes in him shall have eternal life. And he'll raise him up on the last day. That's what the will of God's all about. Coming to, coming to know Jesus and then be reunited to the Father and understanding what God's plan for your life is. And, and, and the Bible says he will never let us go. He's going to hold on to us. He's going to raise us up on the last day. So Jesus submitted his will to the will of the Father. And do you remember... Not long ago, we were talking about Easter and, and that prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden, Lord, not your will, but mine. But not, your, not my will, but yours be done. When Jesus was struggling with the whole thing about the cross and going to the crucifixion, Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus submitted his will to the will of the Father. And because he has done that, folks, because Jesus has submitted his will to the will of the Father and has done everything for us, and has rescued us out of the kingdom of darkness and taken us into a brand new kingdom, we in turn can submit our will to the will of God. Because Jesus has submitted his will to the will of the Father. He's gone ahead. He's the pathfinder. He's the pioneer. He's the author of our faith. And he has submitted his will. He's been obedient, obedient even to death. And he calls us to be obedient and to submit our will to the will of God. Could I just say, I find that's where the battle is. For us to submit our will to God's will. And we need to do that. And that's what this prayer is all about. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Not my will. God's will. So, what are the implications of that for a prayer? Well, 
the first thing I want to just share briefly is that this kingdom we're talking about, God's kingdom, is a kingdom that's expanding, that's growing. And uh, one of our core values, and you'll see our core values, and in, in, a, in, a, in June we're going to have a, a luncheon, and we're going to talk about and our core values again, because we've got some brand, some new folks, which is wonderful. We want to talk about our core values, but one of our core values is that we want to grow. And we're not growing for the sake of growth, but we're growing because the kingdom of God is growing, and we want to be part of that. And so God's kingdom is in, is in growth. God's kingdom is not in retreat. It's not in decline. You may read certain media and you may look at social media um, stuff sometimes and, you've, and you hear scandals about Christian leaders that have, that have fallen and all you ever hear is this negative news. But I want to tell you, folks, God's kingdom is actually growing and people are coming to know God. And we are called to be part of that growth. And so we are unashamedly, and Seeds Church is unashamedly looking for growth. And you know, we, it's great to be part of this church plant. Let, let me tell you, this is not the end of the church planting in Seeds Church. Amen? <laughs> this is not the end. This is the beginning. We're in a new phase of growth. Why? Because God's in the business of growing his kingdom. And he invites us to be part of it. Now, the expansion of the kingdom can mean conflict and struggles and challenges. It's not just an easy road, as Ella was sharing today. We all have difficult times. But can I tell you, folks, that the king is in charge and he's growing his kingdom and we're called to be part of it. So expansion of the kingdom is on the agenda. It's never left. And secondly, we need to have a kingdom focus in all we do. And a kingdom focus means that the, a bunch of us from um, Seeds Church at Aberfoyle have come here and we're joining in with people lo locally. And it's not as if we've brought the kingdom with us. God's already been here. And he's working out his purposes in this suburb and the surrounding areas. And we want to understand and join in with what God's doing. Because the kingdom is already here. Because Jesus is reigning. And he's reigning in Carolda Park and Plimpton and Black Forest and all the surrounding suburbs. So we need to have a kingdom focus. And we need to seek first the kingdom. Remember at one stage Jesus told people, don't worry, don't worry about what you're going to eat or where your food's going to come from, but seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. Do you know, I will share one, one more quick story. Um, some years ago I got asked to speak at a, a youth service in a country town and uh, at the end of the service I gave an opportunity for people to come to Christ and uh, one of the fathers of the one of the teenagers who was in this youth group um, came up to me, and clearly God was doing something in his life, and uh, and we ended up praying, and we had a great time of prayer, and I basically led him in this prayer for him to give his life to Christ, to come into the kingdom. This was on a Sunday night, and then I said in a pretty average way in terms of pastorally concern, I said, "Oh look." Um, John, there's a we have this Bible study in our house on Wednesday nights, you know, Jenkins Terrace, and um, you'd be welcome to come. And that, that was, and when I got home, I thought, gee, that was a bit average. You know, I, I could have I could have arranged to pick him up. I could have rung him up to sort of make sure that he understood what was going on. But that's all I said. You know, it was 
greatest of uh, invitations. Wednesday night, there's a knock on the door. He was the first person there. And uh, I opened, I, I, no one was more surprised than me when I opened the door and there's John standing there. And uh, welcome. And he, he said, I thought I'd come to your meeting house. So he came and the next week he came. And then the third week he came up to me and he said, Mark, I've just made the most important purchase in my life. And so I'm, I'm thinking, well, what have you done, John? Have you, have you bought a house? Have you bought a brand new car? I'm, I'm saying all these materialistic things. And he looked at me with a strange look on his face. He said, no, no, no. I bought my first Bible. Yeah. This is me. <laughs> he was seeking first the kingdom of God. I'm stuck in the weeds worrying about cars and Pajeros and and he's seeking first the kingdom of God. See, when you have a kingdom focus, everything else gets aligned and you're seeking first the kingdom and everything else gets added to it. It takes away our worry. It takes away all our plans because we're no longer in control. We're no longer calling the shots. We're relinquishing all that and we're giving it to God. What a relief that is. Instead of trying to juggle it all and hold it all together, we give it to God because he's the king of the kingdom. We just need to hear that time and time again because we quickly start to get back on the throne and start to try to control the shots. He's the king of the kingdom. So we need to seek first God's kingdom and submit our will to the will of the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that this message of the kingdom would break in upon all of our lives. All of our lives, dear Lord. And that we might perhaps understand, maybe for the first time, or maybe afresh, what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and to pray that your kingdom will come in an even greater fashion than what's happened. Lord, I pray that today all of us might take our eyes off ourselves and look to the king and allow you to have your way in our life. I ask it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen.